non-Bloomsday runners. Woo! <laughs> I didn't expect that kind of reaction. Well, I, I love it. Hey, uh, we are excited. That you're, that's going to kill me the rest of the time. We're excited that you're here. You know, again, uh, as Steve mentioned, it, going through the results of Waymaker next weekend, it's going to be awesome. You know, uh, again, an opportunity to give. Excited to share with you, you know, that next weekend. Uh, also, as uh, many of you may or may not be aware of, we have what's called elders. You know, uh, what do they do? They eld, of course, you know, um, over the church. Uh, they are overseers. They're volunteer, you know, leaders, you know, that help uh, set the direction, you know, make sure we're aligned, you know, theologically and some other, you know, very, very important, you know, shepherding opportunities. And so every so often we go through the congregation and we just start praying, God, you know, is there another elder that's among us that you've kind of raised up? And, and uh, we've gone through a process, you know, uh, with, a, with a, a, a man as well as his family and just kind of process through this. He's fulfilled all the requirements, you know, up to this point. And so uh, we want to do the next step, which is to introduce him to you. Uh, this is uh, Paul uh, Crooks, uh, Paul and uh, um, Heather and their family. So we can just applaud for that. Uh, Paul's been an uh, apprentice, you know, elder for the last, you know, three or four months now. And so here's the next step in our process here at Valley Real Life. Uh, and we talk about this in our DNA class. And that is we bring him before you uh, this week for uh, any biblical objection that you may be aware of uh, that would uh, preclude him or exclude him from becoming an elder. We don't know everything. And so we, uh, you know, invite that. But here's the thing. If you do uh, let us know, you need to do it in writing and you have to sign your name. Uh, by the way, if you ever fill out any card or any comment and don't sign your name, just as a rule of thumb so you know around here, we don't read it. So if you're like, hey, I wonder why they didn't change whatever it is I complained about. You didn't sign it, you know? And so we're not gonna follow through with that until we actually have conversations. So if you have a biblical objection, we need you to submit it in writing to myself or one of the elders. You can find us out uh, online and then we will have a follow-up with you. If there's no biblical objection, you may not like his hairstyle, but that's not a biblical objection. Okay, so biblical objection, then next weekend on Mother's Day, uh, he and Heather will come up and uh, the elders will be here and we'll lay hands on them and institute them officially, you know, as an elder. And so you can be praying for him as well as his family. Uh, speaking of DNA, by the way, on May 20th, just a couple weeks from now, is our next one. Again, it's an opportunity for you to know what it means to be this, have this be a part of your family, not just a place you attend to. Some of you guys been in church for a while, I've been like, I don't need to go to one of those. You actually really do. And it helps you understand and also, where are you at in your relationship with God, and how do I grow deeper? What's my next step? So there'll be two good reasons to be able to come. And so we just need you to sign up as you leave. You know, uh, in the lobby, there's a sign-up table. We'd love to, to have you attend on that date. Uh, as we kick off, I, I want you to answer this question. See what's the first thing that comes to your mind. Where do you go to for answers in life? Where do you go to for answers in life? Uh, most of us would start with us. We'd actually start with us. We'd start with our own experience, our own wisdom, our own knowledge, our own understanding. We would start with us and be like, okay, I kind of know the answer to whatever it is that I'm facing. If you can't figure it out, just starting with you, then more often than not, we will turn to people that we respect. Uh, people that might have more knowledge or experience in whatever subject matter thing that we're going through. Maybe someone who's lived life a little bit longer, maybe a parent, you know, maybe a teacher, boss, coworker, friend, someone that you're like, I can go to this person. Uh, others of us, you know, we'll either go to that person or we'll just click. You know, in other words, we'll go to the World Wide Web 
We're like, at our day, day and age, you don't even have to ask somebody. You just go to YouTube and they tell you how to do this thing. You know, uh, there's all these in, you know, videos and all these different things that you can click on. And many of us will go there. In fact, on Thursday night, uh, worship team was backstage and I picked up this cookies that they bought and I'm like molasses cookies. And I'm like, what does the word molasses mean? And Kenny goes, I know. Surrey, what does the word molasses mean? By the way, Kenny, Kenny actually had a watch on. He's, he's weird, but he's not that weird. You know, talking just to, just to his wrist, you know. And so he actually had one of those smart things, you know. And so Surrey told us. And so that was how he, you know, where he went to, you know, for answers. Uh, but I wonder, in the course of you trying to find an answer to whatever it is that you're trying to figure out in life, where does Jesus fall? At what point do you say, you know what, uh, now I'm going to go to Jesus, uh, more often than not, it's usually, uh, for many of us, when we run out of the answers. In other words, I can't figure it out myself. My friends aren't being that helpful. I'm still confused. Then, then maybe I'll turn to Jesus. Or I really turn to Jesus mostly when it deals with spiritual things, maybe, maybe some relational things in life, but I kind of got him in this go-to box. Uh, the reason I say that is because we kick off a series today called Jesus is the Answer for Everything, for Everything. Now, if you're like me, um, you immediately uh, have some uh, questions when it comes to that. Oh, really? Jesus is the answer for everything. What's my favorite ice cream flavor? Jesus. You know, uh, you're like, where should I go on vacation? You know, Jesus. What movie should I go see? Jesus, of course. You know, uh, uh, LeBron James, you know, or, or Michael Jordan? Jesus. You know, or uh, I, my favorite actually came from Trevor. said, who would win in a fight, a Bengal tiger or a silverback gorilla? Jesus, you know, and so you're like, really? Is Jesus really the answer for everything? What we're meaning by that is Jesus needs to be the focus and the center point of everything that we're going through. Everything we experience, the ups, the downs, the good, and the bads. But even in this humor, if you actually trace it a little deeper, uh, who created the man who created the ice cream flavor that you love? Jesus. Uh, when you go on vacation, don't forget to take Jesus with you. Don't leave him at the door. You know, what movie should you see? Maybe the ones that you'd be comfortable with Jesus sitting next to you. If not Jesus, then think of your grandparents, and that may help you, you know, a little bit as well. You know, uh, Bengal tiger or, you know, gorilla. Animals. Who made the animals? Jesus. You know, so actually, at its core, Jesus is the answer. should all relate and go back to him. Now, I love the book of Colossians because it points continually to the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. Uh, actually, Ephesians does the same thing, uh, this, this New Testament letter that we have, uh, but it talks about the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus within the context of the church mostly, where Colossians broadens it open and says the context for everything in our lives. Now, some of you might sit there and like, well, what do you mean by sufficiency and supremacy? I'm glad you asked, because this is what we're gonna spend the eight or nine weeks trying to discover and unfold what does this mean for us? See, the supremacy of Christ is the supreme control and rule of Christ who reigns over all things. He is the guy who's in charge. In fact, next week, uh, Mother's Day weekend, I want to invite you. It's for all ladies, not just moms. All ladies, we're going to celebrate. Uh, Hester Christensen is going to be joining me. She's our women's pastor here. And we've got some awesome stuff to talk about specifically on the supremacy of Christ. You're not going to miss next Sunday. Uh, the sufficiency of Christ then, if, if, if Christ is supreme, if he's the control, he's in charge, the sufficiency of Christ is to be all satisfying. In other words, Jesus provides all our needs for salvation and human flourishing. That's what it means to understand the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Now, there are the people out there who would not agree with that. They would not agree that Jesus is supreme or that he is sufficient. 
And, and, and you're going to find a lot of people, especially those who don't follow Christ, to say, yeah, I don't believe Jesus is supreme, that he is in charge of everything and over everything, and I don't believe that he's enough. And, and that would be true in the lives of those people. The hard part is when those of us who, follow our, who call ourselves followers of Christ begin to question whether he is enough, whether he's enough. And it seeps into our churches. But before you know, I jump into all of this, I need to give you some background uh, into this book called Colossians. And for those of you, you know, who like history, who like details, who like background information, we're going to nerd out for a few minutes, okay? For those of you who are sitting here like, okay, how does this apply to me? Just push pause, you know, for the next few minutes, because this sets the stage for the next eight weeks. And so hopefully some of this will be as interesting to you as it has been for me. So I'm going to ask you to open up, you know, your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 1 to 14 eventually this morning. Uh, as uh, you're turning there, understand there will be a lot of these scriptures we will not have on the screens. So I want to encourage you to get the Version Bible app, you know, or we have Bibles in the back, especially as we go through the series, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, understanding what does it mean for Jesus to be the answer for everything. Now, in order to best understand how something should apply to us from God's word, it's best to understand who the author was, what their original intent was, in order to then accurately then translate that to say, okay, these are some of the takeaways that would apply to us. So in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. Now the word apostle literally means sent under the authority of someone. So Paul's saying, look, I am not just some Joe Schmo who's writing a letter. My authority is from God and his will. So what I have to say to you is fairly significant and important. Also understand, when letters were written back then, they were circulated among the other churches so that you could gain wisdom, not just for your own church, but for churches around as well. Verse 2, we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, may God our Father give you grace and peace. So here's what we know about these two verses so far. Paul wrote this book. We know it was about AD 60 or 62. We know that he wrote this book from prison while he was in Rome, eventually where he would be actually killed for his faith. Uh, he also wrote while he was in Rome, Ephesians, you know, to a, to a church in Ephesus, as well as this book called Philemon, one of the shortest books in our New Testament. So the interesting part about this letter is Paul has never actually been to the city of Colossae. He never went. So how did the church get started if Paul wasn't the one who started it? So we've got to back up in a different part of our Bibles to help understand where this thing got started. In the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is going around the known world, Asia Minor, and he's starting these churches all over the place, many of which ended up in modern-day Turkey. And as he's starting these churches, he ended up in one city, the city of Ephesus, and he did something different there than he did in all the other you know, uh, uh, churches, all the other cities that he was. And we find this in Acts chapter 19, verse 9. Paul left the synagogue in, in Ephesus, and he took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. So the one thing that Paul did differently here than he did anywhere else is he camped there for a while. He stood there for two years, basically set up a teaching school in this place, lecture hall of Tyrannus. 
proclaiming the good news every single day for two years. Now, the reason that's important is because Ephesus is like modern-day Dubai, where all these cultures and all these peoples from all over the world came into this port city. And so Paul realized, either through the Spirit of God or his understanding, that, wait a minute, I can influence the known world not having to go where they're at because the known world is coming to me. And so I get a chance to proclaim the gospel. People who receive the gospel, receive this good news of Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, then take that back to their home cities. Thus, a movement begins, which is why he hung out there so long. What a powerful power example. Now, one of the guys that Paul encountered while he was there is a guy we're going to learn from named Epaphras. Now, Epaphras lived in the city called Colossae, which was 120 miles away from Ephesus. So he would travel, you know, however he get there, 120 miles away to this place from Colossae to Ephesus. And what we know about Epaphras is he was most likely the first convert, the first person to say, I believe, Paul, in what you're saying. He then received it and impacted him so much that as the first convert to Christianity, he took that back to the city and he started a church. So it was actually him, not Paul, who started this church in Colossae, which actually then got me thinking about our own church. Uh, many of you have heard in the last several weeks that uh, there was a group of 120 people who uh, were in the comforts of Post Falls, kind of like the comforts that we are in today. Uh, they were in seats, they had great childcare, they had incredible children's ministries, youth ministries were going great, all these local and international missions, things were great. And these 120 had a burden on their own heart to start a church in the valley that would reach their neighbors and friends for Jesus, one person at a time. And so they left the comforts of Post Falls to come here, and they didn't come in here, they came into schools, they set up and tore down, it was hot, it was rainy, it was freezing, they did all these things because of their love and care for who would yet join us. Now, I wonder, uh, because we've had a couple, I wonder if there's any of you, and I, I'm going to ask you to be brave, if you were one of the 120 original people who left Post Falls to come here, can you just raise your hand right now? Is there anybody in this service? I knew that these next two are going to be interesting. Okay, here's what I want to point out. Yesterday, uh, we celebrated the life of an incredible man named Dean Burns. Uh, Dean, you know, uh, was an elder at this church for 13 years. What was Dean was most known for, they, they used to call him, I mean, yesterday he was kind of nicknamed Barnabas, the son of encouragement. You couldn't, you know, it was very hard to find a negative word out of this man's mouth. Many of you may recognize Dean because Dean was that guy who was here before the church opened and who was one of the last ones to leave. He would just want to come in here. People knew him about his hugs, Dean's hugs, and his just word of encouragement, always wanting to greet, connect, know, and love one another. Dean is our Epaphras. Dean is one of those guys out of the 120 who came over and said, I'm going to be a part of something that is greater than me so that other people may be impacted in the way that Jesus has impacted me. And we are forever grateful in memory and in love of Dean Burns. So now back to the Apostle Paul. As I said, he's writing this from prison in Rome. It's 1,300 miles now away from Colossae. 
And Epaphras ends up going to Rome. We're not sure if it's because he was in prison. You can read about that in Philemon verse 23 about how Epaphras was in prison with, with, with Paul. We're not sure if it was in Rome or somewhere else, you know, or he was there to visit. Either way, he felt the need that it was important enough that some things were going on in the church to be able to go to Paul and say, here's what's going on. Here's what's good. Here's what's not so good. We need your wisdom. And so that's why he then grabs his parchment of paper and he begins to pen this letter. Now, what you also need to know, one more thing before we continue to move on, is we're going to read, we, well, unfortunately we have the answers when a letter is written. What we don't often have is the questions. What a situation. But here's what we know based on the answers that Paul gives that are some difficulties that's facing this church. The first is that there are people that have been outside the church who are now in the church questioning the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ which is why Paul spends the rest of his later walk, letter walking through this. The first group of people was Greeks. It was just a Greek influence. It was the culture influencing the church. You might've heard of people at this known time of history, Aristotle, Plato, and the like. And here's what their philosophy was. We wanna hear about Jesus because Jesus may be an addition to what we already understand or believe, or maybe something more which is why those of you who are Bible scholars know that when Paul went to Athens to proclaim the gospel, they welcomely said, sure, we'd love to hear. It's another God? Great, let's hear. Come on, bring it on. We want to hear this because maybe there's something that we were missing because here's what they believed. It's okay to believe in Jesus, but it's not enough. It's not enough. We've got to get more human wisdom and understanding because the issue is everything is evil you know, from a physical standpoint. In other words, the chair you're sitting in is evil, the clothes you're wearing is evil, the bodies in which you're in are evil. And in order to actually get out of this evil state that we're in, we have to rise to a higher level of consciousness that only comes through knowledge and understanding based on the different gods and the different philosophies of the day. Paul hears this and says, no. Their understanding is Jesus plus knowledge equals enlightenment. Paul says, no, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And he, we're going to unfold that in the next few weeks. The other thing, you know, that, that uh, came across was Judaism, of all things. In other words, these Jews called Judaizers, some of which received a version of Jesus Christ, would go into these churches and say, hey, hey, it's great that you've received Jesus. That's awesome. But you're not really fully connected to God unless you also ascribe by our Jewish practices. So, you can believe in Jesus, that's good, but you also need to be circumcised and you also need to follow the dietary laws and you need to celebrate our festivals and, and they would list all these things that you had to do in order to be fully accepted by God. So you had these two warring factors that were taking place. Uh, similarly, in our culture, we find the same thing. Different thoughts, different philosophies and ideas of enlightenment will hopefully lead to greater human flourishing. In fact, one of the greatest influencers of this in our day, not as a knock or anything else, just as a, an example, would be Oprah, okay? Oprah, or the church of Oprah, as some people have called, is that she would bring on people all over the place. She did so much good for so many different people, but she said, let's hear from this pastor. Okay, now let's hear from this Buddhist. Okay, now let's hear from this philosopher. Let's hear, and let's try to get enlightened because we think that the more information that we have from all these things, that the better we will actually become. Jesus plus more is what we need to flourish. And Paul's about to write, no, you actually cut off the legs of the gospel if you say Jesus plus anything else. How's that for nerd now? So that's our background, you know, when it comes to this idea of, you know, uh, Colossians. So what do you write? What do you write a follower of Christ or someone considering Jesus who might be in this situation or setting? 
Uh, when you hit a snag in your life, what do you say? Uh, in other words, when you've believed in Jesus and yet you find yourself still going through hard times and you begin to wonder, hmm, I thought Jesus was going to solve this for me. I thought he was going to take care of this for me. Or when you, you go through pain and suffering, you're like, hmm, I, I thought Jesus was loving. I thought he was good. I thought he was enough. It doesn't seem to be enough. What do you say to someone who's gone through that? See, that's what Paul's going to be addressing here. Because you and I are going to eventually have to answer from our hearts and our heads the essential questions that lie before us, which are, is Jesus supreme? And is Jesus sufficient? The answers to those questions, honestly, will dictate the rest of your faith journey in Christ from now until all eternity. It'll make the biggest difference in your life. And so with the time left that we have, after going through this background, let's jump into this short section of Scripture. You realize that we all have reputations, don't you? If you don't know what your reputation is, I dare you to go on the journey and start asking. Talk to somebody else. Hey, what am I known for? You know, what am I known for? Starting with you. Uh, then you might go to another layer and say, I wonder what our family is known for. What's that name mean? That last name, you know, of ours. What, what's it known for? Uh, and then you might go to another ring, another circle. What about church? What is our church known for? Uh, every person, every family, every church has a reputation. And it's no different than in Colossians. And in fact, this first part, we actually get to find out some of the things that they were known for that was their reputation. In fact, jump with me now to verse 3. We always pray for you, Paul says, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. For we have heard of, here's your reputation, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. See, the Colossian church is known for their demonstration of their faith, their hope, and their love. That's pretty cool to be known for. That's pretty cool to, to have that kind of reputation. Uh, to give you a little bit more, uh, one of the ways to look at this is faith looks upward to God. Faith looks upward to God. Love looks outward to others. And hope looks forward to the future. What a cool, cool reputation. Verse 6. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. That's a pretty good reputation. Just as it has changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned the good news from, here's our buddy, Epaphras. That's where you learned the good news from Epaphras, our beloved coworker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he's helping us on your behalf. Here's another part of their reputation. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So the gospel is changing lives. This good news about Jesus is changing their lives and is changing lives all over the world. What great things to be known for. And so it got me thinking, what's, what's our reputation? And I mean, ours is like VRL. You know, it's not, it's not a building. It's the people that make up this church. What's our reputation? And nobody's got a perfect reputation. No, no, no church has a corner on the market. Some churches, you know, are, are known for their expository teaching. Great Bible knowledge and Bible classes. That's awesome. That's what they're known for. Uh, and they might even have the word Bible in their name of their church as an indication of what they're about. Uh, other churches are known for their missions work internationally or, or local compassion opportunities. Some churches are known for their kids and youth ministries. 
You know, so I began to think, what, what would people say about us? And then it hit me. Although not perfectly, I believe our reputation is about loving other people in Jesus' name. That we generally want to walk a journey, which is why we call it Valley Real Life, a real life journey with others, never alone. And I think we do this well, not perfectly, but here's another way that I know that it's kind of a reputation is every once in a while, we'll get an email or something else from somebody who says, I'm leaving the church because I don't feel loved anymore. So I'm like, okay, as painful and as hard as that is and as right as that person is feeling, if they walked into a church and never had that experience from the beginning, it wouldn't be a reputation that would cause them to leave. So the very fact and the reason in which we're leaving actually affirms the reputation in which we have, which is to love one another in Jesus' name. And I'm okay with that. I'm like, I start thinking, I'm like, man, that's actually something pretty cool that we want to be known for. Jesus says, you know, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. I'm like, okay, we'll take that. Are there areas, other areas we can grow in and do better? Absolutely. No perfect, no church is perfect. Otherwise you and I wouldn't be in it. You know, and so this is the truth and the reality of where we are. So how do we keep this reputation? Because it's so easy for churches to become inward focused and focus on our own comforts and our own needs. How do we remain like the 120 who came and started this? How do we have that same kind of spiritual passion and fervor? And what's great about this first part of Colossians is he tells us because he tells them how. And so keep reading with me. Verse nine. So we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's going to take an intentionality focused on prayer for us individually and as a church that we got to continue to pray that we understand and know God as he is, his will, and we permeate and present that to other people. But it starts with prayer, that we would actually say, God, I want to know you. Now that word knowledge is not just to know about, it's actually to have intimate knowledge with and connection in deep relationship. It, to know about is absolutely part of the process. So it's to know about God through his word and to know his will and begin to follow it. It only comes from his spiritual wisdom and understanding. So let's go to verse 10. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. So when we know God, it says we will live to honor and please him. So the deeper we know him, and we've talked about this for several weeks, the more deeply we abide and know him, the more we're going to want to honor and please him. And as a result of that, not focusing on the fruit, but what produces the fruit, which is knowledge and relationship with him, we will then see fruit permeate from our lives. One of those fruit examples would be the fruit of the spirit that we find in Galatians chapter 5. And it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's a desire for us to do. I can't work on patience. I work on knowing God who helps produce patience in me, if that makes sense. Now, fruit also comes, as the Bible says, when we give resources back to him. We see the fruits of the, the, the offerings that are given. We see fruits in the Bible of our lives as we proclaim the gospel to other people. And other people come to know him and a ripple effect continues. So we pray. We pray for knowledge of God and his will so we can honor God and bear fruit. Then, verse 11, it says, we also pray, Paul says, that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience that you need. May you be filled with joy. So what he's saying is, pray, here's your second part of prayer, pray that we'll be strengthened with the power that only God provides through Christ Jesus. Pray that we strengthened. So, so God's power, it says, will produce endurance and patience with joy. See, here's what I know. I can't 
endure beyond my own physical capabilities. I come to the end of me. I need something beyond me to help me get through situations that I can't get through on my own. That's where Jesus comes in from the beginning in the middle and at the end. He's the one that provides the endurance. He's the one that gives the patience as we continue to surrender ourselves to him. Verse 12, always thanking the Father, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. See, God's power enables us to shine his light because we are his people. Ever, ever come across someone and you're like, there's something different about that person. Or if you've been a follower for a while and you start talking to somebody, you don't even have to ask. You're like, you're a follower of Jesus. I can just see it. The light permeates, you know, just, just radiates from that person because of their knowledge, their connection to God and his will. Verse 13 and 14. For he's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and he forgave us our sins. See, God's power is what rescued us and purchased us from the freedom of sin and death. That's what good news is all about. And sometimes in the midst of everything that we're going through in life, we forget to focus on the good news and we focus on whatever's in front of us. And sometimes we gotta, be, we gotta realize we have been set free, which is why we sang that song before Steve came up earlier today. We're free because of what Christ has done and we should sing that and believe that regardless of situation. So as we close, here's some takeaways. I know we've kind of given you a background and kind of setting the stage for the next, you know, eight weeks together, but here's some takeaways that you might think about applying to your own life. First one, consider your reputation. Go on a journey, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. What are you known for? And discover what God might have to say to you through that. Maybe for you today, it's to commit to knowing God more deeply, following his will, saying, God, I, I want to be led by you and your spirit. Maybe today you need prayer for the power and the endurance to get through. And you're sitting there today going, Dan, yeah, I appreciate all that background and all that information, that knowledge, that's great, but I'm just having a hard time getting through today. The one thing you need to hear is you need to pray to God for the strength to help you get through today, knowing that you are not alone. Whatever you're facing, whatever is going on, you need to understand and believe that Jesus is supreme and he is sufficient. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. I pray, Father, that you would allow us to go on this journey together, to walk in understanding of what it means for you to be the answer for everything. I pray, Father, for anyone who's in here who's not yet surrendered their lives to you, that that would be one of the first steps. Say, I can't do it on my own, Lord. I need your supremacy. I need your control. I need to trust in you. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity that you give us to get strength beyond us to help us to get through whatever it is that we're facing. Thank you for the confidence that we can have in you. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.